a listener production. Hello, Lindsay. How are you? Hello, Jacob. I'm well. How are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. I am back from a few weeks up in the wilderness in Western Australia. Um, and it is good to be back after a break. I certainly do feel very refreshed, but um, we found ourselves in a bit of a strange and yet oddly familiar situation, I guess you could say. Um, Rosie, unfortunately, is really unwell again. Um, and so... At the last minute, we've had to make the tough decision that we need to postpone the live shows once again, which obviously we are so, so disappointed about. And we really do apologise to all the listeners who've been waiting for months, um, holding on to their tickets and getting more and more excited, I'm sure, for the shows to come around. Um, yeah, really, really sad for them that the shows aren't going to be able to go ahead this year by the look of things. Um yeah, Rosie is going to be taking a little bit of a break. We're not entirely sure how long she'll be on that break for, but of course it's super important that she's prioritising her health and taking the time she needs to get well. Um, and so in the meantime, Lindsay, you and I um, are going to be going back to what we were doing earlier this year. Um, we'll be organising some fantastic special guests to come on board and we'll be talking to them about some really terrific stories that um, I've been researching over the last few weeks while I was gallivanting around northern Western Australia. So you and I, my friend, we've got some work to do. Yes, I've been on my emails all day today trying to lock in some extra special guests. And I think that all the listeners are going to be very excited about some of the names that are coming up over the next couple of weeks. So mm. stay tuned to see what's coming up. Yeah, looking forward to seeing who's on that list. Um, hey, if there's anyone who's listening who wants to volunteer, um, submit yourself if you'd like to uh, step up as a special guest host on Just the Gist with me and Lindsay. Um, in the meantime, while we're getting those guests organised, this week we're going to republish one of our classic episodes. Um, it's one of the fan favourites. The Widow Stanley likes this story more than any of the others we've ever told. It is the story of Julie Daubigny. And Lindsay, you let me know just yesterday that Rosie and I have been pipped at the post. Someone's beaten us to writing the Julie Daubigny musical. What's that all about? Yes, yeah, someone has adapted it into a play that is playing now at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland, which is the biggest fringe festival in the world. Uh, and apparently, according to the one review that I read yesterday, it is doing well. So hopefully, if it's a success over in Scotland, then maybe we'll get an international release and we'll be able to see it here ourselves. I would love to go and see it, but I am just slightly crushed uh, that we waited a little bit too long and someone beat us to it. But um, hey, if you're over in the UK and you get the chance to go and see it, please write to us and let us know what your thoughts were. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into this episode from pretty early on in 2020. I haven't had a chance to re-listen to it yet, so this will be my first time revisiting it in a while. I can just let you in on a guilty little secret here, Jacob. Yeah. I've never listened to this episode. <gasps> Stop it. Yeah, when you're, when the Lindsay Widow Stanley Green. was in the studio a few months ago and I was asking her, um, do you listen to the podcast? What's your favourite episode? And she said this one. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great one. But in the back of my <laughs> mind, I was like, I will have to take your word for it because I've never actually heard it. So we're recording oh. this on a Wednesday and tonight mm -hmm. I will go home and listen to the episode just so I'm across it. But That yeah, is your homework assignment. A little guilty <laughs> secret. Lady. In my defence, I wasn't working on the podcast back then. I think it was episode 40, so like way back in the very beginning. Um, so mm. I now I get to, it's not often these days that I get to listen to a brand new Just a Gist. And I am arguably one of the biggest Justagist fangirls out there. So finally I get to have uh, that experience all over again, which I haven't had for a long time. Fangirl, haven't even listened to all the episodes. <laughs> well, I look forward to hearing your thoughts once you have experienced the tale of Julie Daubigny. Enjoy, everybody. Bye. 
Okay, so this week I'm calling this one The Singer with the Stinger, The Adventures of Julie Daubigny, a.k.a. La Maupin. Wait, does that mean she has a penis? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to do an awesome... bend gender stereotypes, okay. but no, The Stinger would refer to the sword with which she was very, very proficient. Still could be a penis. <laughs> There's a lot of phallic literal sword. in that. Literal yes. sword. Okay, uh-huh. I'm on board. Let's go. Cool. So like I said, 17th century France at the time of Louis XIV, you can sort of think of her as the prototype for Casanova, even though she was a lot naughtier than he was and sadly she is to this day far less famous than he ever became. Like a lady Casanova. Yes. Oh, love it. Ooh. Hey, is Louis XIV, uh, no, Louis XV is Marie Antoinette. Louis XVI. Oh, damn That was it. his great-great-grandson. Okay, so we're a bit before Marie Antoinette. that time. Okay. Correct, yes. I get it. Um, you can sort of think of her as the inspiration for Arya Stark. Like, Ooh. kick ass. Should be feminist icon, queer icon. She was an exceptionally skilled sword fighter. She was a highly acclaimed opera singer. Um, she was also an insatiable lover who had many, many affairs with many, many men and many, many women over the course of her life. Um, She also committed a whole bunch of crimes, including, but not limited to, stealing dead bodies, kidnapping lovers, stabbing people, including herself, and one time she burned down a convent. (laughs) (laughs) And of course we haven't heard of her because women, like outstanding women throughout history, are always ignored. Why is it, Jacob? Mm -hmm. It's always gender gender dynamics. Yeah, I really nailed the timing there, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, we didn't do. <laughs> yeah. Gender. Um, always blame gender dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're really, really going to like her. Um, <laughs> okay. Now, because the story comes to us from more than 300 years ago and many of the sources were publications that you could sort of characterize as being early prototypes for tabloid media, some of the accounts do vary. Not all of the sources are reliable. Um, Like, for example, historians argue over basic details like what her name actually was because she had a few different aliases. Um, But I'm going to stick to calling her Julie for the purpose of the story. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you the gist of the best parts of her short life. Um, How old was she when she died? uh, Not to spoil it, but somewhere between (laughs) 34, 37. Oh, okay. Sorry. You're driving the ship. In a short amount of time. Um, once I finish telling you this story, I hope that you agree with me that we are going to go away and write a film about her because this story deserves to be told on Trademark, the screen. Copyright. <laughs> Jacob and Rosie. Bags it. Bag- shotgun. Bagsies. <laughs> Bagsies. No takesies, backsies. Um, That's how Hollywood works, right? Oh, I assume so. <laughs> Um, all right, so we do know that she was born sometime between 1670 and 1673. Mm-hmm. She was an only child. Lucky for her, she was part of the upper, upper middle French uh, noble class, which gave her a lot of advantages in life. We don't know anything about her mother because obviously she wasn't important, but we do know yep. that her father was a chap named Gaston, um, and he had a fairly important job as the secretary to the Count d'Armagnac, so essentially his boss's boss was the king of France, Ooh. which means he had the responsibility for overseeing the education of all the court pages. Thanks to Papa Gaston, Julie had arguably the best possible education in Europe at the time, particularly for a female. Very, very few women were educated back then. Um, her father had her attend classes along with all the royal pages and um, from a very young age, she showed a lot of proficiency in the subject she was oh, learning about. When you said pages, you meant like page boys. Correct. Oh, I was yes. like, royal pages, ooh, like a book. No, no. <laughs> page boys. Yeah, right. Yeah. So she's educated with all the little page boys. That's right. Yeah. Um, and she would often dress up in boys' clothing to attend the classes with them cool. because she lived in the school. She got to attend school for many more years than a standard page would mm. as well. Um, she became an excellent writer, an excellent dancer, a really skilled artist as well. And Papa Gaston also made sure that she would be an excellent swordsman because he was a bit of a wild child himself. He'd seen a lot of the seedy side of France during his nightly pub crawls around the city. So he was very familiar with the worst of humanity, and he wanted to make sure that his little girl could look after herself. Mm. So he taught her how to wield a sword like an elite fencer, which he himself had been. That was his special talent. I bet also her mum had something like, I bet throughout all this her mum was also being awesome. And her mum was like, husband Gaston, 
all men are terrible uh, abusers mm-hmm. teach our girl to protect herself. Like, yes. I bet her mum was awesome too. Which would have made her too problematic for people to write about exactly. her at the time. Um, so she grew up being really confident and she was gorgeous and she was very clever. And then when she was around 14 or 15 years old, she caught the eye of her father's boss, the Count. Ew. I know, gross. Problematic. Um, she started an affair with the Count who introduced her to the court in Versailles. And so what was he, like 60? Oh, no, but people died quite early. Maybe he was like 40. Definitely old enough to know better. Old enough Um, for it to be gross. Yeah. But it was kind of commonplace back then. The only thing that was an issue was the fact that he had a mistress who wasn't married. So it was sort of okay for people to have dalliances with each other, have affairs, Mm. as long as they had their own sanctity of marriage. Ah, right, right, Mm. right. Because you marry as a business arrangement and then you allow each other to go off and have your fun. Correct. So he needed to arrange for Julie to be married off to someone so that he could continue banging her. Such a weird (laughs) system. (laughs) So he found a guy called Monsieur Maupin in 1687 and arranged for the two of them to be married. Then once Monsieur Maupin had served his purpose, the Count sent the poor bugger off to oversee taxation in some faraway southern province (laughs) while Julie stayed behind in the court in Versailles. Um, The Count continued his affair with Julie until she became a little bit too hot-headed for him. She was a real firebrand from an early stage and people in society were talking more and more about the way that she'd lose her temper in a shop and assault the shopkeeper and she'd often go and get drunk and try to provoke fights with all the other young male noblemen. And when they say that, what they mean is she's a lady who talks and expects us to listen. (laughs) How dare she? She's out of control. (laughs) That's what they mean. This broad is a little too brassy. Also, I want to know the story of like the dude going off to do tax somewhere. He'll I want make a movie an appearance about that. later on. Like, taxation, the <laughs> Monsieur, what's his name? Montpain. Montpain's story. <laughs> and then he just falls in love with a nerdy girl in the south of France doing taxes. I hope. Wouldn't that he be a nice rom com? Fall in love. We'll meet him again at the end of this story. So the Count thought it would be best if they took a little break and he ended things with Julie, which she was fine with because she already had another little side piece going. Um, She'd kept up her fencing practice and she'd started up a little dalliance with a fencing instructor named Sarah. And how old is she here? Uh, She's probably 16, 17. Oh, okay. Yep. Still a teenager. Yeah. Um, They told everyone he was her teacher when in fact she was clearly the much better swordsman out of the two of them. Obviously. the two of them had to flee Paris pretty quickly at one stage when the cops found out that they'd been participating in illegal street fights at night <laughs> and that Saran had killed a man, so they bolted off to Marseille. Saran promised Julie he'd be able to support them both financially and she figured it'd be a bit of fun down there by the seaside. When they got there, she started using her maiden name to avoid being tracked down by the authorities and no surprise, Saran turned out to have totally exaggerated his financial position. Mm. So they needed to find a way to secure an income for themselves. And they were both shameless extroverts. So they just started putting on unsolicited shows in the different taverns and pubs (laughs) around the city, um, demonstrating their skills with their swords by fencing each other and singing songs and telling stories to all these rowdy crowds of drunk men who would give them money. Um, That's like, my dream job. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of actually what I do for a living. <laughs> Sounds like my live shows. <laughs> um, they drank less than you do. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Fair. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, they put on a heck of a show. They were making a decent bit of coin. Um especially because everyone in the crowd was just amazed to see a woman who was almost always dressed as a man, which in itself Mm. was, what? Um, But to see a woman fighting with a weapon with a really high degree of skill was Mm -hmm. mind-blowing. And she was by no means trying to disguise herself as a man. She was very proud of the fact that she was a woman. Um, She was only wearing men's outfits because she thought they were very flattering to her figure. And, of course... No surprise here, it's a lot easier to fight a sword fight if you're wearing a shirt and pants than it is in a big hoop skirt and corset. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But what if she gets her period? (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, 
I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> That's just like my thing. Whenever like a lady does something that people think she shouldn't be able to do, it's because when you break it down at the end of the day, what they're thinking is, but what if she gets her period? <laughs> and then when periods end, they're like, but what if menopause makes her crazy? So you literally can never win. I think I've told you this before. They were too scared of allowing women to go on trains um, when they were on their period. Oh, no, you told me about planes when we did Amelia Earhart because they thought, what, their wombs would fall out or something? What mm. did you say? Yeah. yeah. Trains? Yeah, trains were an issue as well. Why? Yeah. What, because, like, their womb would stay at Central Station <laughs> and they'd end up in Penrith, like, just by physics? Oh, my God. Mm. Men are idiots. So some people just could not believe that a woman would be able to fight like this. So she'd often get hecklers that would loudly claim that there was no But what if she gets her period? (laughs) (laughs) That's what the hecklers were saying. Um, Jacob's like, shut the fuck up, Rosie. (laughs) So no one could believe that a woman would be able to fight like this. And so often she would be heckled by people claiming, all right, this has to just be a prepubescent boy with a nice singing voice who's good with a sword. Um, And so famously she would, on those occasions, rip open her shirt and expose her 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 testicles um, and ask the audience to make up their own mind about her gender and she was well endowed, so that left no one in a state of mystery from that point onwards. Probably a lot more. Tips too. Yes, significantly more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If anything, she should have been paying someone to be in the crowd to heckle her. Smart. So that she could lob out the girls. She did. Mm. Yeah. Um, She found out that she had a really natural talent for singing. And so she decided to enroll in a music academy in Marseille where she could be formally trained. Um, And then her teacher helped her and Saran, her boyfriend, get a professional gig in the theater there. And she became a professional singer for a while, but then she got very bored with Saram and she decided to liven things up by starting to experiment with women. Um, Mm. She was often approached by women when she was dressed up as a man and she wondered what it would be like to actually go to bed with one of them. Are there any like painting portraits of her? There are, yes. Okay, yeah, Yeah, I really want to go see what she looks like. Yeah, okay. So she set her sights on this beautiful young daughter of a merchant who'd shown some interest in her at a party and they started up a steamy little love affair that only lasted until the young woman's parents found out about it and unsurprisingly they were horrified Mm. and they shipped her off to a convent in Avignon where she could pray the gay away for the rest of her life as a nun. (sighs) And Julie wasn't thrilled, but she also wasn't going to be kept away from her lover that easily. Mm -hmm. So she followed the young woman to Avignon and enrolled herself in the nunnery Mm -hmm. as a novitiate, which is a novice nun, um, so that she and her girlfriend could continue their little tryst at the convent. Movie! Movie! Mm -hmm. I love this so much. We're building, though. It gets better. Oh, my God. Um, That could be a movie in itself, that one tiny bit. uh Uh-huh. Okay. So it turned out... Living in the convent was pretty dull because yeah. even though you can sneak away and oh, have I've a little quickie, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the cleaning and the constant praying started to really get to Julie. Um, so she decided that she was going to come up with a way for the two of them to escape. She hatched a plan and all they had to do was wait until one of the older nuns died. And as luck would have it, it didn't take very long for that to happen. <laughs> So in the dead of night, Julie broke into the dead nun's crypt, carried the body up to her girlfriend's room, tucked the body into bed and set the convent on fire. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, it's a genius plan, Mm -hmm. but if she was going to sneak into a crypt and take a body, why did she have to wait for a nun to die? She could have taken anybody. It's going to get charred anyway. Uh, Good point. (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm not saying it was a foolproof plan, <laughs> but, I but get it, it bought them some time. I get it. It's yes. smart. And, like, to be thinking about, like, CSI mm-hmm. investigators, like, mm-hmm. they're going to check the beds and see if there's bodies, and yeah. that's smart. Mm-hmm. Um, so she now, actually did fool them, though. No, well, yeah, I was going to say, so now they're on the run and everybody thinks that that girl is dead. Correct, yes. Mm-hmm. And no one seems to be asking a question about, but where's that Julie chick? Mm. Um. Anyway, so off they went and they spent three months at first enjoying each other's company, but then Julie started to get really sick of this young girl Mm -hmm. because she turned out to be a bit of a whinger. And and I love how you're like, 
so not interested in talking about female sexy stuff. You're like, enjoying each other's company. <laughs> However if, that would work. If they, yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> they bounced boobs together. That's how they do it, right? <laughs> That's how this gay man thinks they do it. They suction cap onto each other. <laughs> <laughs> yes, keep going. Okay. So... Once she was tired of this girl, she ditched her, which yep. sounds kind of brutal, but she really did the girl a huge favour. How so? Because she made detriment. that girl fake her own death and yes. then left her all alone in the world. But the girl easily made her way back to her family. She told them the whole story. She told them that she'd been coerced by Julie right. and she was the victim in the situation. So then she didn't have to go back to the convent. Yeah. Had Julie not done this, then the poor girl would have had to spend her entire mm. life as okay. a nun. Um, which is fine if you want to do that by choice, but not if it's been imposed mm. upon you by your parents because they're scared of you lezzing out again. Um, <laughs> mm, yeah. Meanwhile, Julie was put on trial, even though no one knew where she was. She was in hiding. Um, and she was sentenced to death by fire for the crimes of kidnapping, body snatching, arson, and then failing to appear before the court. Yikes. So she became a condemned woman and she had to flee Marseille. The only place where she could think to go where she'd find some friendly faces to help her out of the mess was Paris. So she hit the road in that direction and along the way she spent some time in different towns and cities, putting on shows in taverns and inns for a couple of francs here and there. Mm -hmm. She started writing songs for herself and then when she was in Orleans, she met a musician named Marichelle who was really impressed by her voice and her musical skills and he sort of became her Yoda in mm -hmm. a sense. He seems to be the only man that she didn't either fight or in the entire story, yeah. apart from her dad, um, and he set her off on her path. He told her she definitely had a future on the biggest stages in Europe and promised he'd be able to make her the best singer in France with his training. So she decided to stick around with him in Orleans for a little while and perfect her operatic technique. Mm. Um, but before long, he went on a really bad drinking bender, which pretty much made him brain dead from that point onwards. Um, but by that stage, Julie had learned enough from her yeah. Yona Yoda, um, to know what she needed to know to um, head to Paris, join the Paris Opera. So she Aww, hit the road again. Um, she still didn't know. <laughs> I did say Yona, didn't I? <laughs> um, she didn't know quite what to do about the death penalty sentence that was hanging over her head. So mm. she was dragging her feet a little and taking a few detours here and there. Um, and while she was sluggishly working her way back towards Paris, drama did, of course, find a way to track her down. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that she was constantly getting the attention of the entire pub pretty much every mm. night when she would walk in there with her little performances. Um, she got into lots of different scrapes on the road. Um, one of the most famous stories from this time was the night she almost killed a man in a fight and then she took him as a lover the very next day. <laughs> His name was Louis-Joseph, and although Julie didn't know it at the time, he was a duke. Mm. She was, as usual, singing for her supper one night when he tried out a really gross, sleazy pickup line on her. She didn't take kindly to that, so she challenged him to a duel, which he accepted, and the two of them went outside to the courtyard, followed by two of Louis-Joseph's friends-slash-bodyguards. Mm -hmm. um, and Julie was, of course, a way better fighter than any of them, and she fought off all three of them at once and the fight ended very abruptly when Julie skewered Louis Joseph clean through his shoulder. The blade came out <gasps> so far on the other side that he could turn his head and see a few inches of the sword poking Ew. out through his back. Phallic, right? <laughs> she pulled the sword out. She left him lying in the street with his bruised, bleeding friends. And the next day, upon reflection, she felt that maybe she'd overreacted a little when the guy had tried to hit on her and she thought he was kind of cute, I feel bad, and she decided to go and track him down to apologise. So she went to see the barber, who she knew moonlighted as a surgeon for the locals, <laughs> so that she could find out where the guy that she'd turned into a human kebab had ended up the mm -hmm. previous night. The barber told her where she was staying um, and he also told her that he knew he was the son of a duke and this changed everything. Was she like, cha-ching? Oh, yeah. Yeah, smart. Um, now Get that it, girl. she knew he was of noble birth, she felt really bad for being so stabby the night before. Yeah. 
So she went back to her chambers to work out how she was going to apologize properly. But I know she... how she can apologize. I had my period. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd go, I, I understand. It's what he would have assumed. Exactly. Yes. Um, as luck would have it, the Duke sent one of his friends over to find Julie so that he could offer the Duke's most sincere apologies to Love her. Story. Um, the friend implored Julie, please come and see the Duke, allow him to apologize in person. So she obliged. She went to visit the bloke that she'd skewered the night before. And of course, one thing led to another and they did angry, wild makeup sex. Mm. Um, she helped nurse him back to health and they fell deeply in love. And friendly reminder here that Julie is still married to a man that she has not seen and probably hasn't even oh, thought yeah. about. For several years. He's living his own rom-com. Taxation. <laughs> Monsieur, what's his name? En la Provence. Down in... Montpain. Montpain. <laughs> down in the south of France with a lovely rosy-cheeked girl who has given him several well-behaved boys. <laughs> All we know about this guy is that he was a plot device and he worked in taxation. I love that because that's usually women. So <laughs> I love it. Um, sadly, they were torn apart shortly yeah. after this because the king ordered that the Duke Louis return to the court. They promised each other one day they'd reunite and they did maintain a written correspondence for almost the rest of their short lives Aww. and they did meet up a couple of times here or there. Um, Could she not go to the court because she was wanted for snatching nuns? Yep. She's got to sort that out. Yeah. And she will get to it. Okay. Um, but next, she headed to a place called Rouen. And she met another singer called Gabriel Vincent, who had ditched his job in the family business to move to Paris to join the opera, mm -hmm. just like her. He was very talented, but had very little experience. So he was working up his practice hours, singing in bars and taverns, and they started performing together. He instantly fell madly in love with her. He was a good friend with benefits to Julie. She figured she could enjoy the trip to Paris with him, and off they went together. Mm. And they split up just before they got to the city because Julie really did need to sort out that whole death sentence thing before she went any further. Um, it had been kind of easy for her to dodge that up until now, but now heading back into Paris, she knew that in her hometown there was likely to be some asshole with a grudge against her who was planning to yeah, turn her in. because I was thinking, like, how back then, how would be someone be wanted and caught? It's like they look like... Oh, we don't know what they look like. Yeah. It's a lady yeah. who did a thing. But the only way you would be caught is if someone knows who you are. That's right. Yeah. Um, plus, to make things even more confusing, in writing, they just refused to acknowledge the fact that she was a woman who had kidnapped another woman. <laughs> so they would refer to her as Monsieur Montpin. Oh, my God. Mm. Always blame gender, gender dynamics. dynamics. <laughs> So, she figured the best way that she could get around all of this was to go and visit her old friend and lover, the Count d'Armagnac. She figured she, he might be happy Wait, to help her out. This was her dad's boss, who oh, she had okay. her first ever affair with. Yeah, 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 yeah. She thought he might be like happy to help daddy. her out of a bind. So, she went and saw Sugar Daddy, mm. and sure enough, he still had a soft spot for her and said he'd be delighted to go and see the king to request a royal pardon on her behalf. So, off he went to see his boss, King Louis. This is what justice for the rich is like, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He told King Louis the story. The king was highly amused by this plucky young woman's escapades. <laughs> and so he instantly overruled the death sentence and gave Julie a full pardon by royal decree because he just liked her spunk. And you know what? Always blame gender dynamics works in this instance too because they're like, women can't do crazy things. Oh, wait, that is so, that is such a novelty that she did that. Oh, mm -hmm. my God, let's <laughs> forgive her. That's hilarious. That is also gender dynamics, but working in her favour. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, this is only the first of two times that the king is going to pardon her for <laughs> just being... I love her! ...a girl with a little bit too much naughtiness inside. <laughs> because of why? Her period. <laughs> <laughs> so she was a free woman Jacob's once again. Like, stop saying period. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going for I a see, record? I see a little flash in your eyes every time I say it. You're like, Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So she's a free woman once again. And at the age of about 20, she could start her life fresh with a clean she's slate. She's only 20? Mm -hmm. Oh, I feel like... We're in her 30s now. Oh, okay. She's only mm -hmm. 20. Wowzers. 
um, and things are really about to take off for her. So Gabriel Vincent was waiting for her in Paris. He'd already scored a gig in the Paris Opera the first day he'd arrived in his in the city. So Wait, his dream was, was coming true. He was the um, boy who'd left his family business to go and become a professional yes. opera singer gotcha. in Rouen. So many men. Okay. He was totally smitten with Julie and he managed to help her get an audition for the opera. Mm. Um they were totally confident that it was really just going to be a mere formality for her to go and show yeah. her skills. But she flubbed the audition and they told her, go away, practice a bit more, try again next year. So Julie did Shoot. the obvious thing. She seduced the best friend of the guy who managed the <laughs> opera and got him to persuade his best buddy to give Julie a part, which he did. Yes. Mwah. Chef's kiss. I love her. She's making it all work for Julie. Um, so she made her debut in the Paris Opera playing the goddess Athena in Cadmus and Hermione. Mm -hmm. And she was visually stunning, this gorgeous statuesque goddess wearing a golden helmet, holding this long spear, rising up out of the stage. Instantly mm. the audience loved her. Mm -hmm. And she went on to always play queens or goddesses or warriors. And sometimes she'd even play male roles. Whatever mm. role she had, she stole the show. She was the sensation in Paris. Mm-hmm. She started using her married name again, and as French stage tradition dictates, she became La Montpin, hence the name. And what? what is La Montpin? The Montpin. Oh. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. It'd be like people calling you the Waterland. Ah, mm. lovely. Okay. Which might take off. Yeah. <laughs> um, she was enjoying her success, of course, um, and she was really enjoying all the little dalliances with the rest of the cast, which, like all stage troops, became quite incestuous. Everyone mm -hmm. was banging everyone. Yeah. Um, oh, she... like us, like we did at drama school that one time, remember? <laughs> <laughs> the almost. Um, she had a pretty long-term affair with another female soprano in the opera that lasted a couple of years. Um, and then she turned her attention to another of the sopranos who caught her eye, but this new love interest did not reciprocate and she mm. turned Julie down. So Julie tried to kill herself <laughs> as a way of demonstrating her love. Julie. She never had a dull moment in her life, especially not when she was part of the theatre troupe. Especially not when she was on her period. <laughs> You can have one more. Okay. Oh, I've got to pick my Save moment. It. Oh, my God. Okay, okay, okay. Save it for a good one. Oh, <laughs> she survived the suicide attempt. She got back to life as usual. Mm -hmm. um, and she continued all throughout this time um, while she was working in the opera, participating in illegal duels at night in the streets of Paris. Um, oh, duels. Duels, I was yes. like, illegal duels? No, duels. Duels, Yes. Gotcha. Um, she was keeping up that side hustle even though she really didn't need to. She was semi-professional as a dualist mm. um, purely because she enjoyed it. She knew that she was arguably the best mm. in Paris, possibly Europe, um, and she didn't want to start going all soft now that she had this sweet, comfy job in the opera. So night after night, she would dress up in boy drag and head out for a night of sword fighting in the underground street fights. That's awesome though. She well, loves doing it. Yeah. And it made it more fun for her that it was totally illegal. Yeah. And, of course, she was just whipping everyone's butts. Yeah. Um, and then all of her co-stars found out about her skills with a sword uh, when she beat the bollocks off one of the tenors in the opera one night. And this is one of my favourite stories. <laughs> so this guy's name was Dumeny, and he was a pretty rough guy. He used to be a cook, but he had an exceptional voice, so he was plucked out of obscurity had no education, but mm. developed this massive ego that just kept being inflated because um, he had such an incredible talent mm. as a singer. Um, and night after night, he'd parade around backstage being vulgar and sexually harassing all of the female co-workers. One night, Ugh. he was in particularly foul form, propositioning almost every single woman in the cast, including Julie, and she shut him down in her usual no-nonsense way. And, of course, he just called her the most insulting slur he could think of, and she looked him dead in the eye and warned him, this is not mm. over. It does not end here. <gasps> Wait, say that again. This, this is, is not over. over. It does not end here. Bum, bum, bum. I love her so much. I want to bounce boobies with her. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, how ladies have sex. I'm just letting you know. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I'm aware. <laughs> 
Um, so after everyone had left the theatre that night, she changed into a nobleman's outfit and went to wait for Dumenier on his way home. She intercepted him at the Place de Victoire and challenged him to a duel. He didn't recognise her. He was just scared of this random guy who wanted to fight and he refused to draw his sword. So Julie just beat him up with her cane, stole his pocket watch <laughs> and his snuff box and left him cowering in the gutter. Not even worth pulling her sword on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the crappy, cowardly men. It's always the men who are violent and and intimidating towards women who are most scared of other men. Mm-hmm. They're just losers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next day, everyone was back at the opera. Dumenil arrived and he was covered in all these bruises and welts. And he explained to everyone that he'd been attacked by three big burly men the <laughs> night before. And he said he'd fought all three of them at once very valiantly, but they fought dirty and they overwhelmed him and they stole his watch and his snuff box. Oh, please tell me she turns up with that watch just glued to her mm-hmm. forehead. Oh my God. This was the perfect setup for her. She threw his belongings at his feet in front of yes. everyone and declared, Dumenil, you are a liar and a base coward. Ah! I was, it was I alone who defeated you. You were afraid to fight, so I gave you a sound thrashing. As proof, I return to you your miserable watch and snuff box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I just came a little. <laughs> you were going to love Something this about your voice and the way you... I don't know. <laughs> I'm on sensory overload. <laughs> the story and the narration. Oh, okay. P.S. We do still owe Dean an apology for butchering the Scottish, the Scottish accent. Oh, yeah. We forgot to mention that. Okay. So that episode we did on Loch Ness... And Jacob and I spend the whole time just making jokes about Scotland and Scottish accents and Scottish people. And and then we spent like 10 minutes trying to do a Scottish <laughs> accent, which would have been very entertaining for all of you. And then we finished recording and Dino, our social media guy who sits here because he films us during the thing, he was like, "What?" Did, he said something like, well, that was that was great to listen to. Like, <laughs> just looks, and we were like, oh, my God, because Dino is from Scotland. Mm, mm. <laughs> and Dino could have done the accent. We could have stopped and said, Dino, hello, <laughs> help us here. But no, instead we spent the whole time denigrating his country, his culture, his background. His heritage. His heritage. <sighs> Sorry, but he Dino. does do an excellent Scottish accent because... That is just the way he talks. Yeah, he's got an unfair advantage there. That's true. So, sorry, Dino. Sorry, Dino. And sorry to any French folks who are listening today because I'm going to continue butchering this accent. Um, No, you're doing it amazing. Are you joking? You're doing it amazing. (laughs) Merci. I mean, I studied French at university and I had to ask you what the meant before. (laughs) But it sounds good to me. (laughs) All right. So she managed to totally disgrace Dumenil, who absolutely deserved it. She became the hero of the cast. Like I said, everybody loved her. Wait, just say... Here is your watch and your snuff. As proof, I return to you your miserable watch and snuff box. Snuff box. (laughs) What is a snuff box? Sounds like a smelly badge. I'm not laughing at my own joke. I'm laughing at your face. <laughs> what is a snuff box, though? What's a snuff? Snuff is powdered tobacco that you snort. Oh, mm, so you carry your snuff And a box is an room. actual box. Correct. <laughs> yes. I understand. No euphemism there. <laughs> <laughs> that is a hashtag that I want to see trending. People saying that they've got really bad yeast infections, giving them a case of snuff box. <laughs> Hashtag snuff box. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Fifi's like, please God, let yeah. it be over. <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's go. She was then like one of the celebrities that we would have today in that she just could not help but continue to get into trouble. Yeah. Um, she had to it. face court one time. My favourite kinds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hot mess. 
you might label yeah, her at times. Pants. Yeah, um, she had to face court one time for attacking her landlord. There is an uh, account of her threatening the Duchess of to? Luxembourg with a pistol. Mm. Um, Hate duchesses. <laughs> one time she humiliated a countess at a ball using some radishes. Oh, I'm feeling her on all of this, <laughs> to be honest. So the countess had done something Who to... hasn't wanted to humiliate a countess with a radish? <laughs> it's a weekly occurrence. Yeah. Um, the countess had done something to offend Julie and she was wearing one of those big elaborate wigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Julie would just sneak up behind her and stick radishes in the back <laughs> of the wig um, when the countess turned her back on her and then she'd go back and put a few more in and then a few more in. And so the whole party was sort of tittering away at the countess's expense before yes. she found out what was going on. And Le Maupin was raked over the coals. Can naughty, naughty be Julie. the most like obscure Halloween costume ever? Ooh. Just turn up dressed in... French attire with mm-hmm. a wig filled with radishes Love it. and be like, hmm, I guess you don't know much about history <laughs> when people ask you what it is. <laughs> I guess you don't listen to just the jams. Maybe How look at a book one day. <laughs> or maybe just listen to our podcast. Oh, yeah, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> our goal is to turn people away from books. <laughs> Get through life with the least amount of information possible. I'm going to start putting that in the intro. <laughs> Goal is to turn people away from books. Okay. Okay. So despite all of this naughtiness, probably though because of it, Paris loved her and she Mm. was invited to lots of major social events. Most notably, she was invited to attend a very, very fancy ball that was hosted by the king. Mm. Um, And Julie decided that she was going to wear her best formal gentleman's outfit Mm. for the event, not to pretend to be a man. I Um, love her. She just loved the way she looked in men's clothing and she loved the way it felt. And of course, she did look stunning. She had the whole room's attention for most of the night. Yes. And she was flirting with a number of the pretty young girls. And then she honed in on one of the most beautiful young ladies she had ever seen and pulled her away from the crowd of male admirers who were swarming around Mm -hmm. her. And she took the lead in several dances with the young woman while all the lords and ladies sort of stood around gasping and tutting and clutching Mm -hmm. their pearls. And then the room gave a collective shriek of outrage when Julie laid a passionate kiss on her (laughs) dance partner in the middle of the dance floor. And three of the young men who'd been hitting on the girl before Julie intercepted were outraged at the display that they'd just witnessed. Mm -hmm. So um, they decided to step in and protect this girl's honour. And clearly they were just... Uh Protecting their own honor. (laughs) They were completely emasculated because Mm -hmm. a girl is way sexier than you are to other women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to reestablish their superiority, they all challenged her to a duel. And of course, she was delighted to accept and cried, at your service, gentlemen. (sighs) And they headed out to the courtyard with a small audience and she defeated all three of the men in an embarrassingly short amount of time. Mm-hmm. She walked back into the ballroom victorious with the, not a single scratch on her and was immediately brought before the king. And the king took one look at her and said, You are Le Maupin. I have heard of your handiwork. Need I remind you of my decree against jewels in Paris? So she was in trouble. She didn't really have a defense. She'd broken the king's law at the king's own party mm-hmm. in front of the king's court. So she was asked to leave. But before she left the party, she asked the king's brother to try to help her out in some way. And the brother's nickname, his name was Philippe, but everyone called him Monsieur. And he was also a member of the queer community. He had been encouraged to dress as a female since he was a small child so mm-hmm. that he wouldn't become a threat to his older brother. Oh. Um, so he was a cross-dresser who had a lot of male lovers. He and Julie connected and he did choose to intercede on her behalf. Do you think maybe he just liked dressing as a girl from when he was a young child and they were like, oh, no, no, we told him to do that <laughs> just because, you know, it's like it was. It sounds like it's something he wants. Because it's not like you dress as a woman from a young child because you're forced to and then you grow up to be gay and love mm. women's like. You are who you are no matter True. what. So yep. I reckon he probably already was. Could be. By the way, he lived a pretty happy life by all accounts. Oh, yeah. Um, so the next day she was waiting to be arrested. She thought, for sure, this is it. I'm going to be executed. But instead, she was told that she was being let off on the technicality that she was a woman because the law stated that no man <laughs> was allowed to participate in a duel and no one had ever anticipated that a lady would be involved in a street fight. So the law just wasn't set up for this sort of madness. Always blame. Turned out she hadn't committed a crime thanks to her genitals. There you go. Um, 
Not everyone in Paris was thrilled with the outcome, especially not the families of the three young men that Julie had killed and wounded the night before. So she thought it'd be best oh, if she... Oh, did she kill them? Not all of them. Oh. Yeah. Just one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I thought she just, like, knocked him out. No. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it got there serious. Was some, there was some light murder. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, so she thought, all right, I'll get out of town, let the heat die down a little bit. She jumped on her horse and headed off to Brussels for a while. And as soon as she got there, she sought out the most powerful man she could find, a chap called Maximilian Emmanuel, quickly seduced him and became his mistress, and she got herself a lead role in the Brussels opera, reverting back to using her maiden name once again for Mm -hmm. anonymity. And her behaviour continued to become more and more flamboyant and dramatic, and Maximilian started to be a bit intimidated by her and concerned about how her behaviour was reflecting on him because he had a very high station. Um, One time she famously stabbed herself with a real knife during a performance on stage for realistic effect. And at that point, Maximilian decided enough is enough. I need to end it with this bird. She is a little bit too unpredictable for Mm -hmm. my liking. And how old is she at this point? She is 30-ish. Okay. Yep. Um, So he could have ended things with her in a much more dignified way than he chose, but instead he sent the husband of one of his other mistresses over to Julie's house as an emissary. The guy handed her 40,000 francs and written orders to leave Brussels immediately on behalf of Maximilian, and she was furious. She took it all out on the messenger, threw the money at the man's face, screamed at him, called him a cuck, kicked him down the stairs, and then picked the money up off the ground. Yes, I was going to say, keep that that money. (laughs) Um, Headed back to Paris in a fury, and when she got there, she remembered, oh, I have a husband out there somewhere in the provinces. Maybe it'd be time for a rebrand of the old Maupin. Um, I should get him to come back to Paris so that I can then... He's living a lovely, calm life with his cute, cherubic wife and their sensible boys. <laughs> I love that you've invented this narrative. No, I just love it. Taxation, mm. the, the Monpa story. <laughs> um, so she figured for her relaunch into Paris society, it would be helpful if she had the husband there by her side. So she asked her old buddy, the Count d'Armagnac, to summon her husband back from the provinces. That's the sugar daddy. Correct. Yep. Um, so sugar daddy brought Monsieur Maupin back. He was very happy to be back. At long last, he got to see the wife he'd heard so much about perform (laughs) on stage when she made her triumphant return to the Paris Opera. And then shortly after he'd served that purpose by helping Julie rebrand herself, he conveniently died. (laughs) Didn't really matter. He'd done what he needed to do. Um, Oh, no, but what about his cherubic wife and the sensible boys? (laughs) (laughs) This is my screenplay. (laughs) Writing about them. I love that you've already written a spin-off. Julie continued to go on to greater and greater success in the theatre. She was so beloved by audiences that a famous composer wrote an opera just for her in 1702 where she played a fearless warrior princess. It was a huge hit. Um, And then at this point, she started the last affair that we know of, this time with Madame Le Marquis de Florensac, who was famously known all across France as the most beautiful woman in Europe. And Julie was utterly heartbroken when her love died of a fever very suddenly in 1705. And by that time, she just didn't really have the heart to continue going on in the opera and she figured she was getting towards her mid-30s anyway, so clearly it was all over and it was time for her to go away and die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she retired from the opera and went to see out her final years in a convent in Provence. Her final years? <laughs> I'm 34. <laughs> and she was somewhere between 34 and 37 and she had the good sense myself? to realise, it's done for me. Oh, God, uh-oh. I'll just go let some nuns Sorry, wipe Caleb. my brow. <laughs> I'm done. It's over. <laughs> um... And for a long while after, people wrote about her often as a cautionary tale of what happens when women receive too much improper education. They step outside gender norms and they do very naughty, unpredictable things. You know why? Because they got their period. (laughs) 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 But wait, so she's dead. Is this over? Right, so she just goes to the convent. And dies. That is it. Ah, yep. See, I yeah. know. You could say she Do you died think of she a broken faked her heart. Death and then said <sighs> she was in the like put it pulled another body from a crypt and I bet she was like, I don't know, 
Joan of Arc somewhere else. You know what I mean? I don't know the timelines of things, but like I bet <sighs> she went off and did some other cool shit. Don't you she's reckon? On the run to this day. I just don't believe. Yeah, she's <laughs> on the run till this. And then you may have heard of her, Greta Thunberg. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real. She just went to a, like, after all of that, mm. she was like, and now I'm done, convent, goodbye. Yeah. I feel like she went somewhere else. Well, I mean, there was all sorts of diseases going around back or in those days. she got murdered by men because you say she went to the convent, died, and was then forever known as a cautionary tale of mm. women who overstepped their bounds. Mm-hmm. Don't you think men killed her and were like, here is a cautionary tale of women who overstep their bounds. Mm-hmm. Now let's all get back to the patriarchy, please. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stop letting people who get periods <laughs> be in charge of things. Mm-hmm. Don't give them swords. Something dodgy happened in the end there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in our screenplay we can solve that mystery. Um, the important thing is... From my perspective, I really think that she should be celebrated much more as a feminist icon, as a queer icon, and as a cultural icon, Um, hence why I propose we write this screenplay. As a fight club icon, an Mm -hmm. opera icon. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, everything. Booby bouncing. (laughs) I love her. And it is so ridiculous that I've never heard of her, but completely predictable. Of course we're not taught about awesome kick-ass women like this. Everyone knows about Casanova. Oh, of course. wrote his own memoirs. I know, and he was not, all he did was drink wine and sleep with women, and I bet he never gave any of them orgasms. So, like, who cares? (laughs) Um, So there you go. Now you know. Julie Daubigny, La Maupin. Daubigny, La Pona. <laughs> and the lesser known story, taxation. <laughs> Monsieur La Pona. Taxation. Maybe she ran away to be the wife of his wife in the south of France. This writes itself. Oh, my God, it writes itself. <laughs> We've got to write this. I loved that so much. Isn't it great? That was amazing. It yeah. had... Hashtag always blame gender dynamics. Hashtag snuffbox smelly vagina. <laughs> hashtag <sighs> feminism. Hashtag all the things I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's a really good one. You're welcome. Oh, my gosh. Wait. You're what? Wait. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> what do you say? What do you reply to you're welcome? <gasps> Goodbye. <laughs> Jacob's like, end this now. Okay, write to us, uh, just the gist podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear all your stuff, but that is definitely one I'll be telling at a dinner party. Just a kick ass French lady who did kick ass things. And don't forget, we've got dibs on writing the movie. Yes. Uh, verbal contract, copyright. Goodbye. We'll sue. We'll sue. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs>